As G.K. Chesterton said, a dead thing can go with the stream, but only a living thing can go against it. Here on Swimming Upstream, we go against the cultural stream by championing life, liberty, and the pursuit of holiness. Your host is Eric Sammons, author of seven books, including Holiness for Everyone, The Old Evangelization, and Bitcoin Basics. Now let's get swimming. Welcome to episode 80 of Swimming Upstream. Well, since the time that Pope Francis first appeared on the balcony in Rome at the Vatican and announced that he was Pope, there have been a lot of Catholics who have not been very happy with him. And I would include myself among those Catholics, although I didn't really get unhappy with him until months after he uh, started his pontificate. But there's been growing confusion, growing uh, just problems with his pontificate from day one. And lately, it's, it seems that it's gotten even worse, where we see lots of examples of him promoting bad bishops, demoting good ones, where he's elevating to the highest uh, rankings of the church people like uh, Cardinal Supich in Chicago, who's awful. And he seems at times to even allow heresy to uh, spread throughout the church and even promote heresy. And so a lot of Catholics have a lot of problems with Pope Francis. Well, one thing that's happened in recent months, I would say probably for over a year even, in some circles of the church, is that some are starting to say that maybe he's not the pope. Maybe Pope Francis isn't really the pope. Maybe he is an anti-pope. An anti-pope, of course, is somebody who claims to be the pope, but is not actually the pope. This has happened many times in history that popes, have, people, have, men have claimed to be pope, but they're not really the pope, and the church has survived those things. And the reason I think that they're coming to that conclusion is based upon the fact that Catholics believe that the Pope has certain protections, that he will not uh, preach heresy in an official manner. And they also tend to think that that maybe extends to the fact that, the, that God wouldn't allow the Church to have a terrible Pope. And so, therefore, if they think Francis is a terrible Pope, then he must not be the Pope. I think a lot of that comes from a misunderstanding of really the papal protections, the protections that the Holy Spirit gives to the Pope, to the successor of St. Peter. The protections aren't protections that he will never make an error in his personal opinions, that he won't be a sinner, or even that he wouldn't allow heresy to flourish under his reign, or even promote heresy himself. After all, John twenty second, he actually publicly preached heresy— he pre preached a heresy that after one dies, he does not, and if he dies in a state of grace, he wouldn't go to heaven immediately, but instead is in a sleep state, so to speak, until the final judgment when he finally would go to heaven. That Pope, Pope John Twenty Second, this is in the Middle Ages, he actually preached that publicly multiple times. And he had to be challenged by people in the church, and he did end up repenting before his death. But he, nobody ever claims that he wasn't Pope during those times. But I think because we've had a run of popes that at least haven't been terrible. I mean, especially with John Paul II and Benedict, who didn't uh, promote heresy, at least explicitly in, in, in most cases. We tend to think that the protection the Holy Spirit gives a pope is much greater than it really is. And so when we see a pope or somebody claiming to be pope, as the argument might go, doing these terrible things, we look for ways in which he isn't pope. Now, this has actually been 
a very fringe belief in the church since the 1960s with John XXIII. John XXIII, of course, was elected pope in 1958. He's the one who called Vatican II. And for those Catholics who believe Vatican II was the cause of many problems, the idea that maybe that John XXIII himself wasn't a legitimate pope has come into existence. And really, that's mostly been held by a very, very small number of people that you can find on the Internet but not in real life. And so this idea that Francis isn't the Pope isn't really a new one. It's, it's an idea that it's called, the idea is that if we don't really, if the Pope, if somebody says he's a Pope, but we don't have a Pope, that's called sedivacanism, the idea that the see is vacant. Technically, we're always, sedivacanism, I should say, is always happens at various times when a Pope dies before the next Pope is elected. You have sedivacanism, you have a, an empty, empty seat. But the idea of sedivacanism today is more that idea that even though men are claiming to be pope, they're not really pope, and there is no real pope. That's the more most common in this fringe element. But what's happening now is the idea, not sedivacanism. These people who are today saying that Francis isn't really the pope, they're not saying we don't have a pope. They're saying we do have a pope. In fact, he lives in Rome. He dresses all in white. And he even, you know, calls himself, in a sense, a pope or Pope Emeritus. I'm talking, of course, about Benedict XVI. This idea, and I thought saw this on Twitter, and it was really funny. The idea they called it Benny Vacanist. In other words, people who think that uh, Benedict is the pope, and you know, the, Francis isn't really the pope. A, a play on the word Seti Vacanist. Excuse me, Benny Vacanist. They would say that Benedict's resignation was not valid. Therefore, he is still the Pope. And if he is still the Pope, then Francis, uh, Cardinal uh, Bergoglio, is an anti-Pope. Now, the biggest proponent, probably the most prominent proponent of this idea is a uh, traditionalist a blogger named Anne Barnhart, who uh, a lot of traditionalists know and follow online. And she has some pretty extreme views at times. And you know, sometimes she's right. A lot of times she's right. She... I guess it was probably maybe two years ago or so, she came out and said that she essentially is, uh, essentially believes that Francis is an anti-pope. And she's made many arguments for that, that, she is, that, that Francis is an anti-pope. Bergoglio, I should say. If he's not pope, he wouldn't be, go by the name Francis. I'm just going to call him Francis because it's easier to say than Bergoglio. Now, what are the arguments for the idea that uh, Francis is not the pope, that Benedict is actually still the pope today? In canon law, it states that a resignation must be freely chosen, meaning you can't force somebody to resign they have it against their will. And there is evidence, according to people who promote this view, and I think some of it's legitimate, there's evidence that, that Benedict was forced to resign, that he wasn't really doing it of his own free will, that perhaps there was blackmail against him, the St. Gallen Mafia is a term for a group of bishops who really worked to get Bergoglio elected pope, and they, were, and they really were against Benedict when he was pope. And so the idea is perhaps they had something on Benedict, or they had some type of blackmail on the church itself, for perhaps. Like maybe it would be something not against Benedict personally, but would bring down in many ways the prestige of the church. I mean, obviously, at, at today's point, the prestige of the church is at its all-time low. I can't imagine going much lower. 
but the idea is that Benedict, in order to save the church, resigned, and so he was forced to. So his, his resignation was invalid. Further, another evidence argument made for the idea that Benedict is still pope is the weird way that he has conducted himself after, his, after he supposedly stepped down from the papacy. He calls himself Pope Emeritus, which is not a term ever been used in the past. I mean, yes, bishops are called Bishop Emeritus because they're still a bishop. They don't, you, you never stop being a bishop once you're, you're a consecrated bishop. So calling a, a, a retired bishop Bishop Emeritus is totally fine. But when you resign being pope, you're no longer pope anymore. You're still a bishop. You may still be a cardinal, but you're not pope anymore. And so calling yourself Bishop Emeritus is an odd title to give oneself if, if, you, if you're no longer pope. Further, he still wears white. He still lives in Rome. Remember, Ratzinger, Cardinal Ratzinger, that's who he was before he became Pope Benedict. He could have easily just simply said, I am now, again, Cardinal Ratzinger. I'm going to live in Germany, where I'm from. I'm going to wear a black cassock, like I did when I was cardinal. May wear the car a cardinal's cassock. And that would give a signal to everybody, I'm not Pope anymore. I don't want to be Pope. There's nothing about me that's Pope anymore. And I think that would have been a, the right thing to do. I think Benedict doing these things, like calling himself Pope Emeritus, living in Rome, wearing white, gives weird signals, gives some mixed signals. Further, he even made statements about that, or maybe it was his uh, assistant who made this, but the idea that there's two aspects of the Petrine ministry, the contemplative and the active. And Francis would be doing the active, and he would be doing the contemplative. Which makes it seem like, are there two popes? Are you saying there's two popes? Are you saying you're still pope? The point is, is that some people have come to believe that these are hints that Benedict's giving. You know, he's a, he's, he's a brilliant theologian. He knows his canon law. He knows his theology. The fact that he's doing these odd things is his way of signaling, hey guys, I'm really still the pope. I can't say it out, out loud, but I'm going to give all these hints so those who are in the know know that I'm really the pope. And so this has caused a lot of people, I mean, when I say a lot, let's, let's take a little context. If you go to your average parish in America or anywhere, nobody's going to think that Francis isn't the Pope. I mean, they're all going to accept Francis as a Pope. But I mean in the sense of in certain circles that there is the growing belief that perhaps Francis isn't Pope and Benedict is still a legitimate Pope. And so I, I don't want to overstate the, the, the case, like it's millions of people or anything like that. But I do think it's a significant enough that it needs to be addressed, that people need to understand this issue and address it. Now, what are the arguments against the idea that Francis is an anti-pope, that Benedict is still the pope? The first one is simply taking uh, Benedict at his word. Benedict XVI stated specifically that he made the choice freely. He knew what canon law say, said, and so he made it clear he was doing this under his own volition. He wasn't being forced to do this. So in order to believe that Benedict is still pope, you also have to believe he's a liar, that, he isn't good, that his word is not good. And what would he have to say in order for you to believe him? That's one thing to get. I can't get uh, my mind around is, it's simply nothing he said. He, since he said clearly that he is no longer the Pope, he resigned freely, what, do you have to, what does he have to do to make you believe him? Obviously, you don't believe his word. So you can't believe anything he says. Second, I also would say that Popes have been pressured in the past to step down, and that it was still considered a valid resignation. A few months ago, I wrote a uh, short um, treatise on 
depo on deposing popes, you can find it on my website, ericsammons.com. Just go to the free ebook uh, link. It's free. You can download it. And essentially, what I do is I go through the history of every pope that has left office through some means other than death. And what I find is, what I found in my research, and what you'll see when, what I wrote is, there's been plenty of popes, I mean, when I say plenty, probably maybe half, you know, a dozen, two dozen, something like that, who have stepped down from the office. And of those, a number of them have been pressured to do so by outside forces. Yet the church, if you look at the list of official popes, they consider that the end of their reign. They don't consider the next pope an anti-pope necessarily. I mean, it might be an anti-pope, but another pope is sometimes it's so confusing. There's multiple people who are claiming to be pope. But the point is the person who stepped down, even though it's known there was pressure on him, the resignation was still accepted. And so therefore, I don't think it's just because we have some evidence that perhaps there were pressures upon Benedict to, to resign, I don't think that's enough to say his resignation was invalid. It wasn't free will. Because if you choose to resign through free will, it's because you don't think you can do the job anymore. Perhaps the reason you think you can't do the job anymore is because of so many people are against you inside the church and they're going to release things uh, that you don't want to have released or whatever the case may be. Well, you're still choosing freely to resign. You're not being forced to do it. And so I think that is simply a... Um, a bad idea, a bad thought to think that he is being, that Benedict is being forced to do something in such a way that hasn't been done before. Yes, I believe there probably was pressures upon him to resign, but not in the sense that his resignation wasn't freely given. Secondly, I think, or thirdly, I guess I should say, I think the whole Pope Emeritus thing, the wearing white, living in Rome, that's weird. That's also imprudent. I, I think it's a mistake for Benedict to do that. And I just want to state real quick, I love Cardinal Ratzinger. I love Pope Benedict. When he became Pope Benedict, I, I read many of his writings in my early years as a Catholic in the, in the early 90s when I was first really diving into Catholic theology, and I just found them to be beautifully written, very clear, very good explanations of the Catholic faith. I have a tremendous respect for all the work he's done in the church. And as Pope, I thought he did a good job in many ways. I really thought he, he dropped the ball in the abuse crisis and he didn't stand up to people like McCarrick more publicly and things like that. But I love the man. But the fact that he did the Pope Emeritus thing, I think is weird and was a mistake. But that doesn't mean it's a, some signal that he's not the Pope, that he's saying, I'm sorry, it's not some signal that he's saying he's really the Pope. I think a lot of people don't understand Ratzinger's theology. It's not strictly what you would call traditional. It's not a pre-Vatican II theology, to be honest. I know for some people that would invalidate it, but I think it's a very good theology that is based upon the tradition but also takes into effect more modern ways of looking at things. And so he can be innovative at times. And I do think when you're innovative, sometimes you make mistakes. Theology shouldn't be too innovative. I mean, I do think it develops over time. I think there, are, there is a role for theologians to try to expand our knowledge of the faith. We don't just simply repeat what we've learned in the past. That's what Eastern Orthodoxy does. And I think it becomes stagnant when that happens. I think it is important that the church always is is pushing forward with a deeper understanding of the faith. But at the same time, there is a danger 
that what can happen is you can be too innovative and you can think of things that really aren't appropriate. And I think this is a case. Like he thinks this whole, you know, living as Pope Emeritus is a good thing for the church and allows him to be still spiritually connected to the Petrine ministry. But I say when you step down, you step down. Go, go leave Rome, take off the white cassock, stop calling yourself Pope Emeritus because you're just causing confusion. Another thing I wanted to state against the argument that Francis is the anti-pope, Benedict is still the pope, is this, the idea is, you know, we actually haven't had a confirmed time in the history of the church where we had a person who said he was not the pope, yet he was actually the pope. You know, we, we might have had times where people, we've had anti-popes where people claim to be pope, men have claimed to be pope, but they weren't pope, but not where a man claimed he wasn't the pope, but yet he really was the pope. And in general, canon law always accepts the simplest answer. I mean, that's usually the case that whatever is the simplest answer is the correct answer, and that's what we go with. And the simplest answer here is simply that, okay, a man who was pope, definitely pope, Pope Benedict, announced publicly that he is freely choosing to step down and that he was, his resignation is going to be in effect at the end of February 2013. Then all the cardinals of the church, that everybody acknowledged were the cardinals of the church, came together, and in secret they voted, and the man who came out was Cardinal Bergoglio, and he took the name Francis, and every single cardinal acknowledged him as the true pope. Pope Emeritus... <laughs> Benedict acknowledged him as the true pope. So we have a case where every single person who was in the know, who had anything to do with the old pope stepping down and the new pope becoming pope, all say this is what happened. To say that's not what happened is simply, I I just think it becomes to to the uh, realm of conspiracy theories and the realm of just wishful thinking. Anne Barnhart likes to say, you know, when you, when you argue that Francis is still the, the Pope, not the anti-Pope, she says, to argue otherwise, when he, she says that, you know, Benedict is still the Pope, she always likes to say, to argue otherwise requires willful suspension of disbelief. I would actually say it would require willful suspension of disbelief to think that all these people who were involved in Francis, I'm sorry, Benedict resigning and Francis being elected are all wrong or all lying I think just as, as, as a willful disp, uh, suspension of disbelief, as she says, you simply have to accept what's reality in front of you. If you don't, then simply everything calls in, is called into question. Why don't we call into question John the Twenty Third becoming Pope? Why don't we call the question John Paul II being the Pope? Why don't we call into question Linus, the second Pope, becoming Pope? I mean, everything is called into question once you start refusing to see the the, the plain evidence in front of your face and saying, no, it's not actually what's true. I don't think that's the way God works. That typically, if something is very clear and very obvious, and everybody's saying this is the way it is, about something, you know, right in front of our face, that is what it is. So I think it just goes too far into the realm of conspiracy theory to think that Francis is an anti-pope and Benedict is the actual pope. I think ultimately... It's more a matter of psychology than in sociology than it is anything else. Because I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to find a simple answer to complex problems. We have complex problems. We have a church that is in 
disarray, a church that has many problems facing it. We have a pope who is at the head of it who is causing many of those problems. I mean, let's be honest. Pope Francis is a big problem. He's causing a lot of people to lose their faith. He's causing people to be confused, not sure what to believe. He's allowing evil men, frankly, to run roughshod on the church, people like Cardinal McCarrick, people like Cardinal Supich, Cardinal Wuerl. He's allowing them to run the church and do terrible things inside of it. We've got a big mess. Let's just be honest. We've got a big mess in the church. But it's only going gonna to take hard work to get our way out of it. It's not going to be some simple answer, some you know, wave our wand and just say, oh, well, Francis was never pope, so everything he did when he was pope doesn't really matter. And now all our problems are solved. To be honest, acting like Francis is an anti-pope causes an even bigger mess. It's harder to solve than just simply saying he's the pope and we just got to deal with it. There are no simple solutions to the problems that face the church today. I mean, I would say, I'll put it this way. There are simple solutions, but not easy solutions. The simple solution is holiness, that we each strive to become saints, that we work to improve the church in our own sphere of influence, however that may be. For a cardinal, we have a lot more influence than a schmo like me. But we all work towards holiness. That's the simple solution, but that's not an easy solution. Because it means every one of us have to decide to really give our, up our, our, our ego, our self-interest, our, our desire for getting what we want, and put Christ first, and put the church before ourselves. Until we do that, we're not going to get out of the mess. But trying to come up with these simple, easy, I'm sorry, these, these uh, easy answers that, oh, well, let's just wave our wand and say that Francis wasn't the Pope. I mean, that doesn't help anybody. In fact, it makes things worse. And it just goes against what's clearly in front of our face, the reality in front of our face, that Cardinal Bergoglio was elected pope legitimately. He is a legitimate pope. And he will be until he steps down or he dies. And so let's just accept that and do what we need to do to move forward and to work to reform the Catholic Church in a way that is in keeping with its, its traditions in keeping with its perennial teachings it's had since the, the beginning. And let's pray for Pope Emeritus Benedict, you know, Cardinal Ratzinger. Let's pray for him that maybe he would come out and say, do something more obvious that in the sense of publicly, I mean, he's obviously said it, but do things like stop being called Pope Emeritus. Call yourself Cardinal Ratzinger. Wear a black cassock. Leave Rome. Things like that. And, of course, obviously pray for our, our Holy Father, our actual true Holy Father, which is Pope Francis, that he would be converted and realize that he is doing a lot of damage to the church and that he would basically um, preach the gospel as it has been preached throughout the 2,000 years of the, Catholic, of the Catholic Church. Okay, well, that's it for today's show. If you like Swimming Upstream, the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, please rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, you can follow me, Eric Sammons, on Twitter at Eric R. Salmons, or you can follow me on Facebook. Look for Eric Salmons Swimming Upstream. That's my public page. I don't really try to uh, friend people on my personal page, but you, know, you can obviously like my page, Eric Salmons Swimming Upstream. Again, on Twitter, that's Eric R. Salmons, and on Facebook, Eric Salmons Swimming Upstream. Well, that's it for today's show. Until next time, keep swimming against the stream.